0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash achieve today.
1: Hey
2: hey, this is the Alt in Our Stars podcast, Billboard.coms weekly alternative indie rock whatever you want to call it kind of podcast thing my name is Chris Payne I'm your host I'm excited about this week's episode had a very very interesting talk with a musician by the name of Arthur Ashen he goes by the name on stage of Otra Neva believe I said that correctly that is a topic of conversation during our conversation uh, he's not even 100% positive on how it's pronounced, but I think we nailed it. I think we have that down. This is a neat talk. We jump back and forth between some very intellectual things and some very silly things. He has a new album out called The Age of Transparency. It's very interesting. It's very good. I suggest checking it out. He's kind of an artist who works in soul and R&B, but you no, know, he, he came up. Playing Lots of DIY venues in Brooklyn Around punk and noise and metal bands Things of that sort So he's a guy who jumps back and forth Between a lot of sounds, a lot of scenes Very, it's very interesting all in all We talk about how he's sort of a musician Who doesn't have one thing that he's a part of And how he likes that And a lot of of talk about music, music theory Playing instruments, that kind of thing In this one, I learned a lot from it We didn't get too technical I think we kept it in the sort of space where you, the listener, can actually learn things, not get too bogged down in boring musician talk. So, anyways, uh, hope you enjoy this one. Otra Neveu? Neveu. I'm getting my French down. Otra Neveu on the Alt and Our Stars podcast. Enjoy.
1: Otra Neveu. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But ah. I'm, I can't do better. It's not, yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Jesse from Ten Lines Podcast, No Effects, for giving me, I think, the best guide for how to pronounce your band name, because I was mispronouncing it yeah. for ages up until that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's, I mean, I'm not a Francophone, so I don't take offense to it. There, okay. are, there are other people who are, and they might, but you know, <laughs> that's on them. That's their burden.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ultra nouveau. I think I was saying like I was saying ultra nouveau. before yeah. that.
1: I I always knew it wasn't nouveau. That was the part that I knew. Um, there was a period of time where I had a a DJ moniker. It was um, ultra new view. Like okay. all all English language words, but that's because I thought that was how it was pronounced, like ultra nouveau View or something like that. Okay. So, so that that was. That was my, my word game, but I was wrong.
2: So wait, it was ultra new view spelled out like an American.
1: Yeah, yeah, like in English.
2: And did you purposely get ultra Nouveau from that, or is it just like...
1: No, Ultra Nouveau is from... It was engraved on the back of a hat pin at the cloisters. Uh-huh. And uh, the the little thing, not pamphlet, what's the word for the piece of paper underneath things in museums?
2: Oh, the, um...
1: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna lose inscription, it.
2: inscription. What, what is? Because I, I love words. I want to get this. Yeah. Is there a word for it that there's, we're missing? There's,
1: there's definitely a word for it. I just it's it's totally slipping my mind at the moment. Because
2: like people who work for museums or intern, will, their job will be to write those things.
1: Right to write and to like create them. Yeah. yeah. For, we'll think of it. But yeah, go we'll on. we'll come up with it by the end of the podcast. It'll be like the great return. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it just it it says it translates to i want no other but i've subsequently uh spoken to a lot of people who speak french fluently or, or from france or french speaking places and they all give me shit for how it's meaningless mm-hmm. um but uh i was 22 when now i'm not uh but when i found it and it seemed kind of romantic and i've kind of just been stuck with the name ever since
2: yeah so what is the? But it's just like a. Is it just a coincidence that the DJ name sounds phonetically so? Similar? Oh,
1: I, I named the DJ name after the project. Okay. Right, right.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> Other way around. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
2: So, we, we've got we've got the order. It's like it's there.
1: yeah exactly. It's like phonetic. It's phonetic wordplay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Phonetic wordplay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you're out promoting your third album. Third album. Age of Transparency. Hmm. And it seems like you're more winding down at this point, at least North American tours.
1: Yeah, I've got a gig on the seventeenth at Piano. It's like a kind of small thing. It's a pic, uh, pictures and planes thing, which I'm actually looking forward to because I used to play there a bunch when I was coming up, and it'll be nice to be back in that little room. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's all that's on the docket officially for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Have you gone to Europe or anywhere else outside of the continent yet for this album?
1: No, not for this album. I think that'll be next year. Mm -hmm. I guess the holidays are real. True. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
2: What is... I I feel like you would... I'm not really basing this on anything, but I feel like you would have a good European following.
1: Yeah. uh, I've had decent european followings in the past and then uh anxiety didn't pop off in the uk uh and i don't know why neither did my booking agent we had a huh. com- we had a conversation about it once that went on too long um maybe it's cuz it sounds too much like fake british interpretations of american music or something <laughs> it's like they don't need like they they want to be the ones who are who are uh you know appropriating american sounds as opposed to letting in another American appropriate the sounds for them right yeah
2: <laughs> so previously were you popping in in the UK cuz I feel like anxiety was the album that made you a lot bigger here
1: yeah yeah I mean the first the first record the only touring I ever did was in Europe um, and I would get brought out to little weird art world stuff mostly and uh, like I played the the um, the Biennale, the Venice Biennale and, um, played a bunch in Portugal and a little bit in Spain. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like a cool underground, mysterious American producer thing or whatever. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was, I, I don't, it wasn't like big, but for me at the time I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Somebody's paying me to go to Europe and hang out and perform. So,
2: mm. so it sounds like it was a very specific sort of European show.
1: Yeah, there's was a, a lot of museum gigs and art gigs. Huh. Yeah.
2: I mean, that sounds like a pretty decent place to start.
1: I mean, I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah.
2: I mean, that beats playing like small venues that all sort of are the same in New York. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, it definitely beats that. Yeah. <laughs> but you seem
2: like you played your share of the small New York stuff eventually.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was was doing that. I was playing about a show a month uh, in New York from, like, maybe 2005, 2006, up until, you know, 2011, 2012. Um, That was, I played at Death by Audio and, um, what the hell was that place in Greenpoint called? Uh, Warsaw? No, no, it was, it was, like, I don't even know if it exists anymore. It was like Botanica, but it isn't Botanica, but it had a name like that. Okay. Um, and uh, I played at West Nile, which is where 285 Kent opened up, and I played at 285 Kent and played at Glasslands and kind of just like DIY World. Yeah. Like late era Todd P. Although he's still alive, so there's more <laughs> late more, era Todd huh, P. More more eras to come, I guess. The,
2: the venues, I mean, the, those venues definitely usually have sort of a have a have a time limit on them.
1: Yeah, I think there are dubious dubious relationships to zoning that happen with those venues Although the new ones seem to all be on the books, the, the little ones like picos and stuff seem legit.
2: Yeah, they. He just said I think it was the first gig ever. It was part of CMJ. It was the Williamsburg Car Wash.
1: I heard about this, but I was on the road, so I didn't didn't get to go see it. Yeah, it is went it over
2: a- it went over really well. Is
1: it an actual car wash?
2: It is actually. Yeah. Um. They they actually still I think it's in some way maybe still an active car wash, because I saw on stage there was like a big advertisement for some sort of like washing products that they use on the cars mm-hmm. that was on the side of the stage that probably showed up in every single photograph that was taken of a musician on that stage as if it was sponsored by like whatever that was. Right. But it right. wasn't.
1: Yeah. It's the, it's the post Red Bull era now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the
2: post- Even when it's not intended to be a right. sponsor. Yeah. Just
1: advertise yeah. soap for cars. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But yeah, back to what we were saying—the the the top p venues, the the smaller Brooklyn things. Um, you played one of the one of the last shows at
1: Two Eighty Five Can. Yeah, they had I think they had four four shows that were the last shows. Okay. Uh, and I think I did the first one. Yeah, that was great. It was really fun. I had some extra friends join me on stage, and it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Super super punk. I like. I like having opportunity, like basically, you know, 285, now that it's gone, we can all say the sound system wasn't that good, at least not on stage. Um, Now that it's gone. Now that it's gone, we can, we can say this. Um, But, uh, you know, when you're trying to put together um, kind of pristine electronics on a stage so that everyone can hear what they're doing uh, and you don't have proper monitoring, it doesn't really kind of work out. So instead you just kind of have to do the, do the punk thing and go for it. I, I climbed up on top of the speaker stack and shit like that, which was fun.
2: So I saw you recently play Bowery Ballroom. And it, what is it like now playing more and more venues that have, like not to diss on um, Top P and those venues, but having a more legit sound setup?
1: Uh, on stage, it's amazing. I mean, it's you get to feel like you're inside of a real record, which is like my dream I'm an audiophile so I kind of get off on that stuff but it's you know it's it, you feel like you have to do everything right in that context too in a context like 285 you can kind of make more of a mess which is also liberating in its own un, sense I mean I, I loved playing that space uh that's why I played one of the last four shows because yeah it was fun as hell yeah you know? yeah
2: so thinking about that show it was a couple weeks ago when the podcast comes out, it'll be like a month ago. So mm-hmm. maybe we won't date it in that way. But that was was that the that was the tail end of the tour, right?
1: This is the last tour show. Yeah.
2: Okay. How do you feel that show went? Uh,
1: it felt great. I mean, I've never played Bowery. I've played as an opener or as a headliner at like a number of different venues of that ilk. Um, but I've never played Bowery and being a kind of. New York area local, it was kind of a place that I always wanted to play Uh, and so for me just to be there was fucking awesome Uh, but uh, yeah it felt good, it felt really good Uh, my new band kills it and they're all so fucking talented and you know, what more can you ask for to be surrounded by people Uh, I said it felt like uh, driving a Cadillac you know, like I'm just sitting behind the steering wheel and like doing my weird thing and then everyone else behind me is just kind of keeping all the bumps smooth yeah yeah yeah
2: because i guess more in the past you felt like your weird thing was i don't know how small your setup was if it was ever just you but
1: oh back in the day it was me and an ipad
2: okay so yeah yeah, it was your weird thing and that was the that was the focus and that was the extent of it
1: yeah exactly yeah no for for a really long time actually for years it was just me and my my ipod backing band and that was exhausting although fun and i just i went even more crazy because you know you you have to every single second if you're going to be engaging you have to be doing something you know Mm -hmm.
2: so the backing band now for those listening is a backing singer drummer keyboards bass
1: yeah and the the keyboardist also sings as well yeah okay
2: so, when you do, like, play-by-play, play, the big outro, mm-hmm. all the backing vocals, you have a a very multifaceted vocal setup for that kind of thing now. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Three-part harmonies. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because, yeah. um, damn, that... I mean, I think a lot of people would say play-by-play play is their favorite song from you.
1: Sure.
2: I think I, think I would say that. I think. Yeah. I know, there's I'm- a couple on the new album. But... That that outro of play by play is just like a mammoth thing. That's always astounded me. The, like the vocals of that.
1: Yeah, I mean that's. I don't know. It's a gospel outro, you know. It's uh, but it's got the, the comforting slick synthesizers. I don't know. It's it's really fucking fun to play. I'm not bored of it, and I should be by all measures. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I should be bored as shit. Yeah, you know, live shows are so, so much about the relationship between you and the audience, or at least for me, they are, um, and when the audience is giving me a lot, then I'm energized, and it's nice to have a song that you can kind of count on to energize you back, um, and that's definitely one of them, uh, to get. You know, to be able to stick a microphone into the audience and have them all sing along is fucking insane. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's basically like... It's like like childhood dream shit. That's
2: (laughs) like that fronting a hardcore band at 285 Kent kind of vibe. Right,
1: right, right. Exactly.
2: (laughs) But playing the kind of music you play and playing it at Bowery Ballroom, it's interesting taking that. Because I don't know if if like a lot of R&B singers and, and... I don't even know if you would call yourself that but I don't know how many people in that style of music are jumping into the crowd p- like pulling the mic out like a, a hardcore front man would
1: right yeah you know I um, I listen to so much music uh, and it runs the gamut uh, so for, for me R&B and soul music are an essential part of my history and, and um, you know what I like about soul music is that so many of the greats um, the Al Greens the you know Otis Reddings the Patti LaBelle's obviously um, Whitney Houston or uh, whatever I'm not going to list all the great <laughs> soul singers uh-huh. there are some great ones we, they, we, yeah. the, all four of those are great um, they just really sing and um, you know as another genre in, in which singers really sing uh, is punk and hardcore you know they really sing uh, and So to me, that's the most exciting part about being a vocalist—is really singing, as opposed to like nailing the part. Um, And I admire people who can do that, but that's to me the thing that's cathartic and the thing that's exciting is just pushing my vocal cords to their edge and then drinking a lot of tea to make up for it.
2: Okay. Yeah. So what you're getting at, as far as that versus when you just said nailing the part, it sounds like you're placing just like emotion and pouring things out over just like the intricacies of hitting specific notes.
1: Right. I mean, I, I think, I think if you hold me up as a vocalist to the standards of other R and B singers, I'm not going to stand up that well. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a usher. I'll never be able to have that type of kind of control. Um, but then there are times that usher is boring as shit and it's because he has too much control, you know? Mm. Um, and that's not even really like A slight on him That's what he does It's like how he does it And when he nails it It's unbelievable And it's you know Like what's better than um, Climax or um, You know whatever This Or Sam Smith is unbelievable also You know there's a lot of Singers that are just Great um, I guess Somebody like Patty LaBelle To me is like The perfect Ideal Because she has All this control But then Live she's this like crazy raging gremlin and okay. it's like unbelievable like i don't know if you've watched like vh1 diva shit on youtube or back in the day but she hits these notes that are like ugly and beautiful at the same time and that to me is so inspiring and i think i've always been like the otis writing got to got to na na nas" and things like that when people are just kind of pushing the edge of their their voices that's inspiring to me
2: yeah for sure and I feel you there when you said it, things can be less interesting when it's too clean. Yeah. Because it's like R&B and Souls, I've been interested in it for a while. It's never been like my top go-to genre. Sure. And what I'm drawn to is more stuff like your stuff that's a little bit maybe weirder, a little bit more out there, more just like you were saying, just singing rather than that precision.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I I have admiration for both Um But for me, as a singer, I'm not interested in trying to be technically the best. I'm interested in building a skill set as a vocalist to allow me to be able to do certain things that maybe other people can't do. But, like, really, just it's about emoting.
3: Yeah. Hold up.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah.
2: And it's interesting. Do you, because it's like, with your kind of music, I was just thinking about, like, those last 285 Kent lineups and seeing the poster with Autre Nouveau on it. it, Stylistically, it's so different from, like, so much of what you play with. Do you ever feel, like, out of place?
1: Uh, I mean, I feel like, Honestly, at this point, especially with the new. Well, I mean, if you take into consideration all three of my albums, like, I'm out of place with literally anyone that I play with. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, the first one's, like, kind of weird, lo fi, hypnagogic soul music with, like, reggae overtones. And then, anxiety is kind of digital, more R&B pop kind of thing. And the, this new one, I just think of as kind of like a shit show of sculptural sounds and, <laughs> and, and kind of. Pop hooks woven in and mm-hmm. out um, at, at random times, but yeah, I mean it's uh, that to me is fun. Like I like came up in in Brooklyn. A lot of the shows I was playing were noise shows. So like with people tweaking Behringer mixers to you know over overdrive and just make tons of noise, or DJ Dog Dick like doing his weird kind of noise rap screamo thing and mm-hmm. uh my buddy dan who does one to tricks point never um but he had some older projects that were kind of like uh synthesizer drone things that he would do uh and so i always was at a place you know i was like always this kind of weird performance art thing in the midst of uh noise shows. so I, i'm used to it that to me yeah fine. yeah
2: yeah it's like probably people are going to have a hard time if they're trying to put you on a bill of sound alikes or stuff like that but the scene your surroundings I think it's very very conducive to people being out there and just being different
1: yeah yeah exactly I mean I think we're I think the the good thing that internet brought to music is that people don't necessarily feel as strongly about genre as they used to Uh, they don't they don't like jump on a genre taste thing and stick to the ethos and the ethics of like the kind of weird imposed ethics of what that means to like just punk or like, you know, just R and B or like just rap music or like just rock or whatever.
2: Yeah. If you look at your Wikipedia page, the first genre has PBR and B
1: right That That one I'm not feeling (laughs) (laughs) mostly because I've probably had two cans of PBR in my life, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, whatever it's, uh, you know, you, you get the world decides you're a hipster and then <laughs> and then you make soul music, uh, and you're a hipster and you're P B R and B. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you know? Uh it's like one of those things like vaporwave or whatever, these micro genres that mean almost nothing and it actually references like a specific period in time in relationship to a specific handful of musicians. Yeah. It's like, you know, what are you gonna do? If that's if that's what I am, that's what I am, right? <laughs>
2: That's an interesting way to put it. It's more of a purity in in time mm-hmm. than a sound, mm-hmm. huh? Because when I, th- I think about like Witch House was kind of that and Chill Wave, all these things. Yeah, that makes sense. It's more just like what was, pe- what some blogger was feeling then, or right,
1: right. No, I mean it's like, I'm, you know, if you're that blogger, like that's your goal is to come up with a thing that you can say you coined for the rest of your life, which is good, you know. I, I I tried it with Failure Pop. That's what I labeled my own project about six or seven <laughs> years ago at this point. And uh, it never pick, picked up. I couldn't get anyone else to be in the Failure Pop genre. <laughs> I was going to say, I am new to Failure Pop. Yeah, exactly. Everyone is. <laughs> I'm, I'm advocating strongly for it, but you can't. <laughs> what,
2: what else do you think would fit into Failure Pop? Uh,
1: I had a thesis that was m- mostly actually about um uh, about... Artists whose careers were predominantly in the 70s, starting to work with synthesizers in the 80s and 90s, Um, like Stevie Wonder, and I, I guess it was just stuff that I loved from the 70s, being then Marvin Gaye, like their late era records and the way that they were kind of approaching this new technology uh, and not really knowing what the kind of norms were going to be, and like weird shit that kind of came out of uh, just letting synths and drum machines roll. And at, at this point, none of it seems weird because we've had another synthesizer drum machine renaissance, and so like we're just going through the same motions again. And tropes are less obvious than they used to be. Um, but at, at in two thousand and six, it seems like a really great idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm not.
2: I'm not very knowledgeable at all about like the later period of those artists you just named. So they they kind of like stumbled around trying to work their legend into new technology?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh electric light orchestra. I mean a lot of like every band that was big in the seventies, they had all these you know, the music industry was booming, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all making these rock records or these soul records and they're all using normal instruments and it's basically just the the kind of end result of of the pre digital pre-synthesis kind of era of of music yeah. uh, and they start hearing New Wave or I don't know who knows what the hell was going through their heads but they're like oh I want to start fucking with those tools because they're cool and they're what's new and they're all in their 30s at this point and so like let's start experimenting with these tools that we have access to um, and some people figured it out and ended up establishing the tropes you know Michael Jackson didn't stumble through that transition hmm. uh, at all Um, Yeah, some nailed it. Yeah, exactly. And it's not even that there's anything necessarily wrong with it. It just is that history decided that the way that they implemented those tools was not the way you're supposed to. Um, You know, the same thing happened with kind of um, like Marcus Pop, who basically invented Glitch. Uh, And Glitch is not even a thing at this point, really, but like the kind of early pre-IDM thing was that he took um Apex Twins ambient records and cut them up and recorded the playback of those CDs and made a new record with with that um and that ended up kind of defining the way that a whole slew of electronics were used not just through IDM but through today like the way that we uh disrupt like a, a digital clip is like we don't even notice it happening, or uh, at this point. Uh, and then DJ techniques all do the same thing too. Uh, so it's just kind of um, figuring out who did things right or who did things wrong is, and those are in scare quotes there, because um, mm. a
2: lot of it's just like <laughs> what critics said or what did well on the charts kind of dictates what we say now or who are the winners and right. who are the, the, right. the right. losers. Right. Right.
1: Exactly. Um, and so, anytime new technology comes up. It's, I guess, failure pop includes those people who are experimenting and failing. (laughs) Yeah. Failing failing to, like, be, uh, to pass the test of kind of new technology implementation or whatever.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting because the broader thing there is just when a new thing catches on. Like you said, synthesizers. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not exact. Maybe it's something similar now with just, like, EDM culture or just, like, ongoing hip-hop culture kind of that's what runs the top 40 right right. so now it's like more like alternative artists more like what rock bands feel the need to
1: be more like beat based totally yeah no it's all it's all there's always going to be paradigms that people who don't naturally fit into that are going to experiment with it um so it's like the it's the in-betweens like the music and the margins that like doesn't succeed I guess. <laughs> the music in the mar. That sounds like something.
2: Yeah. The music in the margins. Like a TED Talk or like a, a column on something. Yeah. Hire me, Billboard. <laughs> <laughs> the music that was pushed to the side, that yeah. time forgot. Right, right. Underappreciated right. underdogs. Right, right, right. <laughs> we should talk about... We touched on the the, the tour. I want to talk about the band a little bit more. Sure. I wanted to ask... Because you, you talked about playing solo just mm-hmm. with an iPod and moving mm-hmm. up to a band now. What is it like keeping a band th- together over time?
1: Um, well, the, Teaching
2: them, all, all that goes into that.
1: Yeah. Um, all of the people in my band have their own projects that they do uh, as well, and they are totally self-sufficient artists. It's not... I. You know, I, I, in theory, could hire anyone to be my band, uh, but I've been really lucky in the sense that my drummer and the primary vocalist, um, Joe Stickney and Chrissy Joe Zambri, um, are, have been with me for, like, over three years now, uh, and that was what we were touring on, the Anxiety Tour stuff, was just the trio, um what is it like they they have to feel like they're engaged and they're excited about it and that they're doing stuff that they want to do you know it's just like any other job you have to make sure that the people uh, if you're like the employer or whatever you have to make sure that your employees are happy Yeah, right um, I, I try and pay them as well as I can when I when I can and um, take them out to dinner when I can't pay them that well <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's interesting yeah I, I don't know if keeping a five piece band together is as easy. Uh, you know, we just did this one leg as a five pieces the first time and, uh, it requires more rehearsal and it requires, you know, for, for the years after anxiety came out, we did a few rehearsals on the top of it. And then like, we didn't need to rehearse ever again, which is great because they're just both excellent executors. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I switch out a, bass player, then I'll need to rehearse again. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what it's like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's. I always
2: think like, wow, I'm in the audience. I'm getting like a great representation of the sound with this expert band. But I'm always thinking like, wow, it must take so much effort to keep that all all that I'm seeing. It must take so much effort to put that together.
1: Well, you know, like I've been lucky to just find it. Awesome musicians and awesome musicians can do anything. Hmm. Do I mean like if you're good at what you do, like if you're a great bass player, you're a great drummer. It doesn't take that long. You just kind of like listen to the music, write some charts. Within a week, you're playing it as well as you need to. You know? Yeah, and it's sick because I'm not that kind of musician. I'm like an ideas guy. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, for for me, it's like the studio is great and like very much in the Brian Eno tradition of studio as primary instrument. Uh, and I can sing, you know, different things. But it's, uh, yeah, the band, the band learns it fast. Okay, it's, it's really great. <laughs> so you don't see yourself as that kind of like
2: a uh, musician's musician with the instruments. But how did you learn to sing?
1: I've been singing for uh, forever. I, I have a little bit of like pseudo classical training in in voice stuff. I took lessons when I was younger and was in. Choral choirs for years and years and years and years, um, but I started singing since I could talk. It was one of those things where like my parents would have kids' music on in the car or whatever, and I'd be sitting in the back seat and just like singing along to the the guitar sounds. And like I've always been attracted to the idea of using the voice to do things that the voice isn't supposed to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, singing through repetition. Just like anything else, it's mm. the the it's not Malcolm Gladwell, but it's the the ten thousand hours. Yeah, yep. Right for the the,
2: the genius, the ten thousand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mastery, mastery. Not genius. Genius is a whole other
1: thing. <laughs> yeah, I've
2: I've read um, I st- I haven't read any. I just read the um the uh, the outliers is where that comes from. Mm. That one, I, his recent stuff, I've never tried to read because it, it just seems kind of hokey. Right. But that book, I've I've picked up a lot of interesting things from that.
1: Hmm it seemed hokey to me, too, that one. Also. That one, even. I mean... I've, I've, I've flipped through it. I've been gifted his books on multiple occasions. And okay, I, and some I've, friends trying to inspire you. Right, right. Mostly family. Um, but uh, I also received The Secret as a gift once, so... And Eckhart Tolle also, I to, I guess I have family members who like cults. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Scientific cults or otherwise. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna get. What was that? The
2: Scientology doc. You're gonna get that one for Christmas.
1: <laughs> I hope not. Every time I talk to somebody about it, I haven't seen it. Uh, every time I talk to somebody about it, they're like, "I'm watching this, and it actually is freaking me out. Like, it scares me legitimately, and I just don't need the weight of that. I don't need to know about it. Oh, so I, yeah. I, I haven't seen it. So yeah, I sh- yeah. It's, it's, if if things are happening on like some sort of like actually terrifying level in, in terms of Scientology, like that's just it is what it is. What are you gonna do? It <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I
2: think if it's far away and isolated enough, that it won't affect you and I. I could potentially watch the documentary, and even if it is terrifying, I cannot be terrified by it.
1: Right. But I, I think the I think the point is, is that it does affect you and I on some weird level. What? I don't know. Have you seen it? No. No. Nah, sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Our programmer Jess has not seen it either. Yeah. Is that is that your producer? What is your title?
1: Producer executive producer. executive producer
2: Jess <laughs> has not or uh, you, you like Jessica, right? I've heard. I, someone's spreading a rumor that I don't like my like what people call me here.
1: They <laughs> calls me Jess and I'm fine with it. Someone started a rumor that I only like Jessica. She likes both. She okay. slightly prefers Jessica, but Jess is fine. Mm. Yeah.
2: So, um We're talking about Scientology. Prior to that, Malcolm Gladwell. Singing, singing, singing is is the topic. Yeah. Uh, So, if I was thinking, if if you really wanted to, you could in the press release put classically trained vocalist.
1: Yeah, but that's not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like whenever a band has like a violin or a cello or something like that, it's always classically trained. Right. Only only way. No one just plays the cello Because they picked it up
1: No, no, you don't just fuck around (laughs) in a cello It's because the the intonation is so hard I think that's the problem with this Because there's no frets Because you definitely can just pick up a guitar But I don't think you just pick up a violin or cello Mm. I don't know I'm not a real musician So I wouldn't know these things
2: (laughs) What do you think makes a real musician then?
1: Just somebody who has a natural penchant For playing instruments for reading music, for things like that. Um, you know, I I read C-plus better than I read music. You know what I mean? Like, I like can mm-hmm. go into the back end of my computer before I can go in, <laughs> go in and, and like, fi- fix a guitar or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I know so many people who are so good at playing their instruments, and they can play their instruments like they're a voice or like they're a thing that they're born with Uh, and that to me is that's you know I'm a a a middling musician but I but I work really hard I work really hard at it
2: and that's where the people in your band come in
1: that's where the people in my band come in yeah Um, I, I have like enough musical background to be able to talk to them about it and like kind of explain what I want to do um, but I, I listened to some M- Michael Jackson like demo tapes, pre-demos of like him just like doing vocal overdubs of all the parts of things off of Bad or off of Thriller, I can't remember what songs they were at this point um, so I can do that kind of thing where I can be like here's how I want the bass line to be, here's how I want the guitar to sound like here's like what I want the drums to be or whatever um, and I can play keyboard fine like I'm like a passable key if like if there was a band um, that played fairly straightforward pop music or or like indie rock or whatever and needed a keyboardist I could probably okay. I could probably pull that off too uh, but I could never be a back backing vocalist because my voice just like cuts through like a knife no matter what the context is it's hmm. yeah. interesting
2: yeah huh yeah even like I mean we're talking about like different different like styles of vocals and different ways you can be really good like before we were talking about like the precision versus just like belting, and mm-hmm. I guess this is like like another one of those differences
1: right yeah my my timbre is too like too idiosyncratic or whatever,
2: yeah, I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to picture you like backing vocals in any sort of a band and it's huh
1: no, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I can, I can like write the harmony parts and I can, I can sing backing vocals for myself. So on my records, I'll do it. Okay. Um, and usually I think of them as scratch vocals at the time, but they end up getting blended in as kind of to f- fill things in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I can't, I can't harmonize with anyone else. Not okay. really. I mean, I can sing the notes, but I can't. It just like doesn't blend.
2: And what about because like, you do a lot of vocal improvisation live?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say. How,
2: yeah. does, how did you learn that?
1: I
3: don't know, from man. Singing in the car from, to, to this yeah, kids' song, yeah. From
1: vocally uh, improvising, I, you know, I, like I can like cite weird games that I, like I do this thing, um, like radio game in the car with some, some friends, uh, where you know, just scan till the first song comes up, and before you have a chance to really process what's going on, your job is to create a brand new melody to sit on top of that song, that like shifts the fundamental nature of the song. Um, and that's pretty fun. That's like a, a fun exercise for just kind of being quick on your feet in oh terms God, of the yeah. melody writing. Because the goal is not to fall into the song, right? But is to like transcend the song. And no matter what the hell's happening in the song, it becomes the backing track for the new song that you're writing. It's it's like
2: freestyle, like rap freestyling, but for vocal harmonies,
1: right. basically. Right. Yeah. Kinda. Give me a beat,
2: and I'll yeah. do whatever. Yeah. A, yeah, yeah B, it's yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or I'm picturing like a bunch of theater kids on on the the bus to the competition, all doing that at the same time, really, really competitively.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that sounds good. I don't know. I I was never on that theater kid bus, but it it looked like it was fun. Yeah,
2: trying to think of what other kind of like musical on the spot improvisations you could do along those lines.
1: It's the only one I ever thought of. I mean, I like I do another thing where I listen to uh, like really out avant-garde shit and try and find pop lines within those as well, like Meredith Monk or Merce or whatever, and like try and find like the har- harmonic overtones that you can use to build melodies on top of that are still linked to the music, um, which is a fun exercise. Also, kind of okay.
2: <laughs> I'm not familiar with. In what avant-garde mediums they work, so I
1: don't. Really... Oh, Meredith, Meredith Monk is like a; she's a, primarily a vocalist, but does a lot of like extended technique. Uh, extended technique in any instrument is basically when you kind of push outside of the cultural norms of how to use that instrument. So she does a lot of like weird guttural stuff. Okay. Uh, Joan La Barbara does similar extended technique for vocal stuff. She worked with uh, Robert Ashley, who's. Uh, He's an avant-garde opera composer kind of performer. Um, yeah, so Merz bow is, is like harsh noise, like Japanese harsh noise. Um, and it's one of those things where you first hear it, you're like, this is just grating and annoying. But then if you let yourself sit with it and are willing to look for it, you actually hear all these complex overtone interactions that happen. And, and it's, like, it's it's like my bloody Valentine without the song underneath. Earlier. Yeah, just the noise, right. just the reverb. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll do th- I'll do that for fun. Like go to experimental musician friends shows and just in my head be sitting in the audience, like writing pop songs on top of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I like to to me like anything could be the the basis of that, and singing is something I do without thinking about it so that's where i learned to sing was just by doing it over and over and over again
2: yeah that's really wow that that the scene you painted of being at the experimental show and seeing the uh the, having a pop song in your head on top of it yeah i was not expecting that <laughs> i was thinking just on the on basic terms of like it say say like a, a band like the white stripes that doesn't have bass like if you were learning bass picking up a bass guitar and like Adding a bass line to a very like minimal song which is drums and guitar.
1: Mm-hmm. well, I think I'll, I think in a weird way, we all kind of do this. Uh, at least I am imagining I'm generalizing my own experience here, but you know you hear a song and you like uh, like EDM DJs will like put in these subliminal crowd noises at the moments where people are supposed to be psyched. Right. And it's actually built into the productions themselves. Um, and what that does is it doesn't, it's not that all the crowd noise is really there, but it like creates the feeling. Like you add your own experience on top of the music you listen to, right? You like, it's probably harder now than it used to be, but like, you know, it used to be really easy to not know what musicians you liked look like. And so you would like project. This really, like, the band Spoon. I was super into Spoon in college, in early college and in high school. And I just imagined he was just this really, like, handsome, cool dude. And it turns out, you know, he's fine looking, but he's just, like, a kind of (laughs) gangly gangly redhead, you know? And, like, does not, like, have a... He doesn't, like, look cool. And I just imagined he was just, like, super suave. And that he just, like... Brian Ferry is, like, what you were Right, 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 (laughs) right, right. But instead, it's just this, like, kind of, like, gangly redhead nerd stunner um and I think
2: he Brit, Brit from Smith is very good looking within that archetype
1: right right but to me he like totally <laughs> failed to fulfill the, the 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 expectation and this is not like a, a slight on Britt Daniels at all it's just more like I had this whole other image of like what kind of guy he was maybe even like a more handsome Lou Reed or something you know what I mean just like just kind of more rugged or something like yeah. more, more New York City or something um And I think we all do that to all the music we listen to. So it's just you know whatever the hell you spent a lot of time thinking about. Music to me is no longer like a social thing; it's more of like a technical thing. So when I hear sounds, the way that my imagination is peaked is not by like imagining some like person doing this or like imagining like the the social context in which I'm at a huge outdoor festival and there's a great light show or whatever, but it's like imagining the different ways that a a musical idea can be changed and recontextualized because that's just like a more fun exercise for me. Then I like can kind of distinguish how somebody made things. And so it takes the, the romance out of it, the cultural romance out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's more just like, how do you put romance back into music is by making it like a game
2: yeah because we know so much about music now it's so at our fingertips it's like yeah how do you put that that mystery that draws people in how do you put that
1: back i mean it's still there i mean people seem to still have it you know i think you and i are probably we probably know too much you know
2: uh yeah i would say so <laughs>
1: but but <laughs> but there are i think most people who like music don't know that much and they're happier for it and like hmm. part part of me could wishes that i could go back there
2: how quaint! How quaint! Those faces in the crowd who just don't know—they
1: don't know how how manipulated and easy it is. They—they <laughs> <laughs> they don't. It's they all don't, a scam. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they don't know how to fret the cello, and they don't know how right, to right put the uh, take the avant-garde music and find <laughs> the pop melodies.
1: No, it's not. It's not a limitation. It's like it's like a great, it's like a great blind spot. I think. I mean, I grew up being a music fan, you know, and. I miss it. I miss that kind of fandom. Mm.
2: Cool. That's about all I had at my end. I Sounds want to good. Talk about yeah, that was really fun. Thanks for coming by. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, dude. I appreciate it.
2: For sure. Cool.
1: Let's have it, Peter. Out, 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 out,
2: out. Yeah. So that concludes another episode of the Alton Our Stars podcast. Thank you so much for listening. However, you are listening to this, whether it's on iTunes, um, on your iPhone, at your desktop, at your friend's house, whatever. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. As you can maybe tell, I really enjoyed doing this podcast. If you have any kind of feedback from me, I really appreciate to hear it. Good, bad, middle of the road, whatever, Uh, you can give us a star rating on iTunes. That's very appreciated. Um, if you have any specific feedback, you can email me. It's chris.pain at billboard.com, P A Y N E at billboard, or on Twitter at cpain on a plane. And, uh, yeah, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, totally should. You can click on the iTunes link towards the bottom of this story if you're viewing it on billboard.com. That is, it's in, the, like, the last graph. If not, just uh, search for Altonar stars on iTunes in podcasts you can subscribe there are also archived episodes lots of cool stuff to dig through we've had uh let's see we've had magical clouds bully the wonder years ashley monroe tom mullen from washed up emo all on the show lately so stuff to uh to call through there on the archives but uh new episode runs every friday around 12 noon 1 p.m on billboard.com so keep a lookout for that subscribe Until next week, people, have a good weekend. Bye-bye.
3: Selling a little or a lot?